Well, good morning. How are you all this morning? Johan and Beryl, welcome back. Came and introduced yourself a month ago, and then we haven't seen you since. I mean, yeah, 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 okay. I thought it was because I made such a great first impression that you're never going back there again. Hey, quick shout out over here to Jordan, the newly married Jordan and Jess Everson. Yes, married last Saturday, and uh, they'd planned a beautiful uh, honeymoon up the east coast of the U.S., but because the U.S. is shut down, they've had to cancel their honeymoon. So they're here. Very sad, huh? That's not the true story. The true story is that they're always, always booked to leave tomorrow, so we're praying that the government opens the country again, and everyone gets back to work, and so they can go and be tourists over there. But uh, Louis went to their wedding ceremony. I was performing another ceremony here, and, uh, and uh, she loved it, said it was just beautiful, as you'd imagine it would be. And so, yeah, good job. Congrats. Awesome. Now the real work begins, but hey, so far so good. Well, we're going to be continuing our conversation uh, we launched a couple of weeks ago on this topic of being blessed and what it means to be blessed and maybe even some of the the unexpected or the less kind of obvious blessings that we can uh, experience in our lives. Now, if you weren't here two weeks ago when we kicked off this conversation, you can go onto our podcast from our website, elevatechurch.me, get into that. We talked a couple of weeks ago about being blessed with a need for community, that God hasn't intended for any of us to do life and to be the church together alone. It's actually the worst thing that we could experience and the worst way we could do life together alone. You know, in the last, uh, I guess, uh, over time, there's been shifts that have happened in the evolution of history. About 10,000 years ago, we moved from a Paleolithic era to an agricultural revolution, the agricultural era where instead of people going out to look for food, uh, the agricultural revolution was all about people figuring out ways to bring food to us and to actually centralize uh, the production system of, of food. And, uh, and it changed everything. It changed the way we lived. It changed how things um, were done, it changed, cities started to evolve, etc., etc. Um, then maybe, uh, I wouldn't be able to say exactly the date, but the shift from the agricultural revolution, we shifted into the industrial revolution. We saw the advent of things like the steam train, and then we saw the advent of things like the motor car and, and the aeroplane. And You know, this was only in the last uh, couple of, of centuries. In the last 20 or 30 years, we've actually moved from the Industrial Revolution into what's called the Information Revolution or the Information Age. And whereas in the Industrial Revolution, the new players, the big players were, were people like the Ford Motor Company. And we, we got to know about the Henry Ford uh, ad, uh, invention of the, of, the, of the mass production, the assembly line system. Now we're in this Information Age and the faces have changed. The people leading that have changed. The companies that we see on the cover of, of, of magazines, Forbes magazine, etc. have changed. Some of them you'd recognize. Some of them we interact with on an everyday basis knowingly and sometimes unknowingly. One of them, the big players, the heavy hitters, uh, is Microsoft. Microsoft, uh, again, you probably have had some experience with them. If you've ever turned on a computer, looked at a computer, walked past a computer, you'll see Microsoft, founded by Bill Gates in 1975. And uh, Bill remained the CEO up until 2000. And even to this day, still remains the chairman of the board. Another player started in 1994 is Amazon. Amazon started by a guy named Jeff Bezos, and uh, he founded that from scratch, uh, and has been the CEO of that company for the last 20 years, and that company continues to go from strength to strength. 
another company that we're all probably familiar with is a company called Apple, Apple Computers. Funny name, but they seem to be doing pretty well for themselves also. Founded by this man or co-founded, Steve Jobs. And uh, he founded that a year after uh, Bill Gates founded Microsoft in 1976. And he was the CEO of that company with a little bit of a pause in the middle of there for uh, 35 years until his death in 2011. These are some of the big players, Microsoft, uh, Amazon, Apple, all found, you know, founded by people who, who went on to become you know, very prominent as leaders and, and stayed in that leadership role, stayed at the helm of those companies for several decades. And you see this consistency, this continuity of vision, of leadership, of developing the organization. And they get a lot of publicity. They make a lot of profits. They've got a lot of employees. They've got a lot of influence around the world. What's interesting, though, is the largest organization in the world was founded by a guy who only stayed physically at the helm for just over three years. This organization today runs schools, runs hospitals, runs welfare programs, runs rescuing and intervention programs right across the world, has the largest amount of employees of any organization in the entire world. People come voluntarily, regularly gather together, give money, fund things, change the face of their communities, their nations and the globe. And it was founded by a guy 2,000 years ago. Some of you maybe have heard of him. His name was Jesus. He only stayed at the helm of that company, of that organization, for three and a half years. And his business plan, his growth strategy, is completely insane. Having only just kind of got this thing off the ground, he left a group of unpaid volunteers, a small band of merry men, 11 men, And said to them, okay, guys, from here on in, it's on you. From here on in, the the development, the building, the growth of this organization, which are, hmm, I know what, I'm going to call it the church, is going to be on you. I'm going to leave it to you to make this happen from this day forward. And here we are, 2,000 years later, the growth strategy has not changed one single bit. Jesus has given us the responsibility to share his story. And in fact, I'd like to frame it this way. We are blessed to share his story. One of the blessings that we have been given is we're blessed to share his story. Now, occasionally, I like to run a scenario through my brain that I call if I were the devil. If I were the devil, and knowing that the, de- the devil's strategy is to actually shut this down. The devil's strategy is to close the church, stop it from growing, subvert the whole process, make sure that the church is ineffective. And uh, if, I was the, if I was the devil, how would I go about that? I just think about that every now and then. How, what, what, what would be my best play to kind of, you know, knowing that the church, that Jesus Growth strategy, his plan for growing the church is through you and I. If I was the devil, how would I kind of keep a lid on that sort of thing? Well, one of the things that, that I would do is I'd convince the church that sharing his story is only for a chosen few. Remember, uh, I don't know, it was about, uh, it was about 10, 10 years ago. 10 years ago, I was on the Gold Coast and I was uh, scheduled to speak at a church up there uh, on a Sunday morning. So I'd gotten in on the Saturday and staying at the hotel that they put me uh, up in. 
And in the morning, they were sending a guy to, to come and pick me up and, and, and take me over to the church. And um, so uh, I wait, wait in the lobby, and this guy comes in and says, Are you Mark? Yes, I'm Mark. He introduces himself. His name is Sharky. Okay, not, he's not a character from Finding Nemo, which, by the way, his name's Bruce. Um, this guy's name's Sharky, and he's an Iranian guy, so hence the, uh, you know, not uh, anglicized name. Name's Sharky. And uh, he introduces himself. Hi, Mark. I'm Sharky. Um, I'm here to take you to the church speaking this morning. Fantastic. So, so uh, I follow him out into the lobby. And, and, and I notice he's, he's very well dressed. He's got a suit and tie. And he's all sort of, woo-hoo. okay, fantastic. And he takes me out to his car. And he's got this nice BMW. So, okay. sure, why not? You know, got to look after your guests. So they pick me up in a BMW. So we're driving along to the church. And Sharky starts telling me his story. Is this a little bit, you know, of his story? He actually... Uh, recognize that God has given him the gift of evangelism. Okay, it's a kind of churchy word, but, but someone that's kind of like a, a special ops guy for God who's actually got this supernatural ability to lead people to Jesus. That's kind of the summary. So he's got this gift, gift of evangelism. So he, he's, he made a decision that he's going to live by faith, not work a job, rely on God to provide for his needs, and he was going to go wherever God called him to go to share the story, to share the story about Jesus to whoever... God sent him to. That's just how he was going to live. And uh, so, you know, fantastic. I, I love that. Louis and I lived uh, by faith for a couple of years, and, and we get that, and we admire that. And, and uh, we're driving to the, to, the, to the church, and he stops. He needs to get petrol. Now, by the way, if you're ever looking after a guest that's coming to speak at your church, get petrol before, okay? It's just not a good look, all right? But anyway, he obviously didn't know the rules. So we stop at this petrol station. And uh, he gets out and, and, he, and he fills up and he, and he goes in to, to pay for the fuel. And, you know, I'm, from the second that I, that, that, I, that, I, that I heard him telling his story about the fact that he, he's not paid, he lives by faith, he's an evangelist, and yet he's got this nice suit and this, he's driving this nice BMW. You know, I'm just, just kind of wondering what's, what's going on here. You know, this, is like, this is, seems like a pretty good occupation. It uh, seems to pay pretty well. I don't know. You know, sitting in the car waiting for him, thinking, you know, it's a Sunday morning with the only people in the service station. So I think he's just going to go in, flash the cash, get out of there, bam, you know, answer the question. Do you have flybys? Do you have a discount voucher? Would you like chocolates? And, okay, anyway, worst case scenario, that's going to take about two minutes and come out. Well, about five minutes have gone past. And I'm thinking, you know, and, and I need to be somewhere. I've got to be at a church. I'm the guest speaker. Thinking, oh, my gosh. Looking at it. And I look, I look across into the, into the shop area of the service station. And there's Sharky with the service station attendant. The service station attendant's on their knees. And I think, oh my God, that's how he pays for his flipping BMW. He's holding the joint up. Great. So there's Sharky. There's this service station attendant on their knees. I'm out in the middle of the, of the service station next to the pump in a, well, I'm guessing at this stage, stolen BMW, thinking, oh my Lord. A couple more minutes go by and... Thankfully, he comes out and, you know, we're driving along. I only met this guy five minutes before, more or less. Like, uh, Sharky, yeah. Mind telling me what was going on in there? Like, oh, yeah, yeah. It's nothing, nothing out of the ordinary. You know, I just started talking to, to the girl there about Jesus. And, uh, you know, within a couple of minutes, she said that she wanted to make Jesus her Lord. And so I said, well, let's do that now. And so she got on her knees and... I prayed for her and she confessed to God that she was a sinner and was in need of his salvation and made a decision to make Jesus her Lord. And, you know, and here we are. And I'm like, I mean, it's never happened to me, right? I don't know, maybe that happens to you a lot. It's never happened to me. Sharky says, that happens to me 
all the time. But so it should, because he has the gift of evangelism, okay? But that doesn't excuse the rest of us. A very important principle for every one of us to understand is that there are spiritual gifts, okay? The Bible talks about 28 spiritual gifts. Nobody has all 28, okay? Probably you have, each of us have about, I don't know, two to five. I think I've got three. When I think, I'm very certain I've got three. I don't have the other 25. However, whilst we don't necessarily have a particular spiritual gift, we're all called to do some of that, okay? Let me give you another example. Some people have the gift of prayer. These are people that when they pray, stuff happens like bam. But even those of us without the gift of prayer are still called to pray. Understand? There is a gift called the gift of giving. These are people who in a church will be financial leaders. They will be giving exorbitant amounts of money because God's gifted them that way. They'll be making a lot, giving a lot. They have the gift of giving. Those without the gift of giving will be very unlikely to keep pace with them, with their level of earning and giving. However, we're still all called to give. Do you understand this? So there are people, yes, who are chosen, who have the gift of evangelism, like Sharky, and they will go out and, 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 and evangelism, they will be way ahead of the curve in terms of their effectiveness of sharing the story of Jesus. And the rest of us, some of you may have that gift, by the way. And, 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 and by the way, one of the most important things you can do is understand what your spiritual gifts are. I can tell you what my three are, and I can tell you what order they are in terms of the strength of those gifts. And because I know that, I lean into those, and I don't do the others apart from just doing them. You know, I don't have the gift of prayer. I do pray. But I've actually got some people in my life that when I need some extra horsepower in, in, in an area that I need prayer for, I'll pray and I'll ask them to pray for me as well because they have the gift of prayer. We all need to do this thing, sharing Jesus' story. It's not like a professional sport where we sit in the grandstand and let the evangelists play on the field. So we're all involved in this. You know, at college or a tertiary level education, there's a concept called auditing the course. Auditing the course means you can actually, and you can do this tomorrow, you can go down to UWA and you can sit in on any lecture you like. They won't kick you out. They won't check your ID. You can just walk on in and sit inside a lecture. You can sit inside a lecture theater for an, an entire course for an entire semester. You haven't enrolled. You haven't paid a cent. Now, you won't do the exams, but it's called auditing the course. God doesn't want us to audit the course. God wants us on the playing field making a contribution as a contributor, as a player. But if I was a devil, I'd convince the church that sharing his story is for a chosen few. I'd convince the church that sharing his story is the church's job. The twist on this one is that is absolutely true. The important distinction is for us to understand who's the church. And guess what? It's you. And it's me. Yes, sharing Jesus' story is the church's job, and we're the church. No plan B. He started it 2,000 years ago. He hasn't changed a thing. Another thing, if I was a devil, I'd convince us of is that sharing his story is treating people as targets. Have you ever heard that expression? Oh, don't, don't talk about Jesus. It's like treating people as targets. You know, it's like Amway.
St. Francis, some of the same people that tell you this will then throw this uh, St. Francis quote at you. And if you've ever heard this quote, preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary. I'm just curious, by the way, make the effort. Who's ever heard that? Preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words. And, you know, St. Francis, right? Good old Frankie. Well, I hate that quote. You know why? Well, for two reasons. Number one, St. Francis never actually said that. So any bozo that walks up to you and goes, well, St. Francis said, wherever you go, preach the gospel, if necessary, use words. No, he didn't. I just, it's like, mm. People that, you know, just quote things without actually knowing it's true. But the other thing, even if he did say it, now he had some writings that, that, that kind of, kind of overlapped into that sentiment. Preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words. But, but, but he wasn't saying don't ever use words. The, 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 whole, the whole idea is, is, is let's make sure we are people who, who live the truth that we are communicating, who are doing, not perfectly, ever, we won't, but who are committed to, as best as we can, in God's strength, to have our actions line up with our convictions, to have our, our behaviors line up with our beliefs. That's kind of the takeaway from there. But it's not to say, don't talk to people about Jesus. Respect their beliefs. No. I don't respect that someone's going to hell. Why would I respect that? It terrifies me. It breaks my heart. It breaks God's heart. In fact, Paul, he wrote to the church in Rome. This is what he said. How can people call for help if they don't know who to trust? How can they know who to trust if they haven't heard of the one who can be trusted? And how can they hear if nobody tells them? And how is anybody going to tell them unless someone is sent to do it? Guys, God chose us. We are the sent ones. We're on the playing field every day at work, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our places of study. We're it. We're the sent ones. God chose us and we're we're blessed to share his story. But I'm aware there's some roadblocks. I've been doing this for a while. I know a lot, a lot, a lot of people who call themselves the church. And there's some roadblocks, and I understand that. Some of the roadblocks, let's just call them out. You know, a roadblock to why some people withhold being themselves from being used by God to share his story. Is, 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 and, and I wonder if, if, if any of these you can relate to. You're afraid if you start to tell people about Jesus, they're going to ask you a question, and you don't know the answer. You ever felt that way? And it's kind of stopped you at the front end. You don't even start the conversation. Because what if they ask me a question that I don't know the answer to? God, you, we're never going to know the answer to every question. In fact, the worst thing you can do would be pretend that you do know the answer to every question. The best thing we can do when we're engaging with people in these conversations about Jesus is when they ask a question. You know, did Adam have a belly button? You know, or just, well, let's hope they're more kind of, Powerful questions and that. But when people ask us questions that we don't know the answer to, the best thing we can do is to be authentic. Is to be authentic and say, you know what? That's a really good question. And I don't know the answer to that. But how about we explore that together? How about you and I? Would you, be, would you want to do that? How about we kind of 
take a little time. If that's, a, if that's an important question to you, and that's maybe like a, a barrier on your road towards Jesus, I'm willing to, to work with you to find the answer. Would that, would that be okay? Do you think that sort of an answer would be disarming to most people? Absolutely. I, I don't know all the answers. Boy, it's a very good question. Would you be willing to explore that with me? I'd like to know the answer to that. Maybe a roadblock for you talking about Jesus is you don't want to be perceived as a hypocrite. Because the, the irony is the people closest to you, they know your weaknesses. They know your warts, don't they? And you start talking about Jesus, and you know that your life doesn't line up with his life. Well, that's right. Nobody's life lines up with his life. But we're not asking people to follow us. We're asking people to follow him. And we acknowledge that we're on a journey as well. Let me throw some churchy words at you. Okay? There will be a test, Vicky. So write these down. Justification. Sanctification. Complete transformation. All right? Here's the test. I want you to say these with me. The first one is, one, two, three, justification. The second one is, one, two, three, sanctification. The third one is complete transformation. And it's a journey. This journey, justification, happens at the point of salvation. You guessed that one, didn't you, Stewie? Salvation. The moment we say to Jesus that we're a sinner, we want to follow you, make you our Lord, forgive us of our sins. At that moment, we are justified. We are set right with God. We are restored into a relationship with him. However, we're not perfected at that moment. The journey, and it's a journey, of sanctification begins. That word means holiness. We start being transformed into holiness, into the image and likeness of God. But it's a journey. And it's a journey that isn't complete until we leave this earth and meet Jesus face to face. Where only at that time will we experience complete transformation. You get that? One of the best things you can tell people, your friends, your family, your neighbors, your colleagues, your co-students, one of the best things you can tell them is, man, I am a work in progress. The fact that I'm following Jesus doesn't make me perfect, doesn't make me better than you. It, 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 I'm just someone that acknowledges that I'm not perfect, that I need a savior, that I couldn't get my life right with God. And that he, thank goodness, is patient with me. He, thank goodness, is merciful towards me. He, thank goodness, is working with me, taking time, understanding, taking me on this journey. Don't use the word sanctification with them. On this journey of being transformed over time, over a lifetime, to eventually this point of complete transformation. Okay, Just be authentic. Say, mate, you're a hypocrite. You don't do everything that Jesus did. Yeah, right? Then I'm a hypocrite. Absolutely. But it's, no, one, no one did. No one did. No one did. No one will. And we'd be authentic about that. Don't let that stop you engaging with people in the conversation. Here's, here's I think, often the biggest ticket item in, in this. The biggest barrier is we don't like getting rejected. You don't have to put your hand up, but just, 
just think about that for a moment. Have you ever, has that ever been a barrier for you, maybe talking with someone about Jesus? We don't like, because we don't like getting rejected about anything, right? Well, Jesus didn't actually have a 100% strike rate when it came to him asking people to follow him. God didn't. I mean, right back in the beginning, a third of the angels left heaven. It's pretty weird, huh? Heaven, from everything I've read about, it seems like a pretty nice place to be. And yet a third of the angels actually left heaven. One of them is a guy named Lucifer. And uh, Jesus was on the earth, and he, he called a bunch of people to follow him. But he had this, this rich young guy come up to him and say, Hey, Jesus, you know, tell me what must I do to follow you? And Jesus gave him an answer he didn't like. So he was like, screw that, buddy, and turn and walk the other way, you know? Jesus had 12 people closely following him, handpicked, and one of them eventually turned around and stopped following him. We're not ever going to have a 100% success rate. We are going to experience rejection, but so did God and so did Jesus. You know, we're in good company. <laughs> and again, it, 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 I say this in, in other contexts, but don't say people's no for them. When it comes to sharing the story of Jesus, don't say people's no for them. It's a very... Uh, important principle in so many facets of life. Don't say people's no for them. It, some people will say no. You, you start to engage with them about Jesus. Some of them will say no. But please, for the love of God, don't say their no for them. We will get rejected. And ultimately, it's not us they're rejecting, but I understand it's still a little bit, uh, I guess, exposing and makes us feel a little bit vulnerable. But it's still worth it. It's still, these aren't reasons for us to shut it down. These aren't reasons for us to just hold on. If, if, if we were someone who found the cure for cancer, our primary responsibility is to get that cure out to as many people as we possibly can. It would be reprehensible for us to, 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 to hold on and keep that cure for cancer a secret, wouldn't it? Well, we got something even better than that. We got, we got the key to eternal life. It's Jesus. We know him. We've met him. We're following him. And we can't keep that good news to ourselves. He's blessed us to share his story. Now, there's a lot of ways to go about it. I'm not suggesting for a second there's only one way. And it's even kind of difficult to grade what's the better way. But one of the, one of the things we've tried to do is we've just put it together an approach here at Elevate that, that we kind of lean into. And we just, we just use three words, engage, invest, invite. And it's this idea that people are on a journey and we can actually connect and have our lives intersect with them on this journey as well. Engage, invest, invite. Let me, let me just unpack that a little bit. This idea of engage... It, one of the things that's kind of weird to me is statistically, I don't know if it's true in every case, but statistically, um, it's often said that the longer someone follows Jesus, the less non-Christian friends they have. And uh, it's kind of weird to me, you know, but okay. True or not. The point is we need to make sure we're engaging with unchurched people. Okay? We just we need it's gotta be a priority. We've got to be proactive about it. And so we just use the word engage. And, and the way the way we unpack that is we say, think of something you like to do 
and then go and find unchurched people to do it with. You know, here at Elevate, we haven't started the Christian chess club. We haven't started the Christian, you know, baking club. We haven't started the Christian soccer club, the Christian basketball club, the Christian any club. We're saying to our people, go out. Go and join the local chess club. Go and join the local basketball club. Go and join, because that's what Jesus did. He went out to where people were and engaged with them. Me, I'm into triathlon, so I've gone out and joined triathlon groups. And, and, and you know, when they find out what I do for a living, it's like, it's a head twister, man. You know, because I look like all of them. And yet, I'm a priest. I'm a vicar, Peter. I'm a vicar. I'm a reverend. I'm, I'm in there. I'm engaging with them. Find something you like to do and then go and find unchurched people to do it with. But don't just leave it at that. It's not about having a thousand people that you've engaged with, a thousand relationships that are an inch deep and a mile wide. It's actually continue that journey with people. Start investing in them. Start scratching where they're itching. Start making a difference. Start influencing. Start devising generous plans. Start speaking life. Start looking for opportunities where you're going to actually become a, a leading voice in their lives. When they think of people they want to be like, want to follow, want to listen to you, we can build that platform with people by speaking life, by acting in ways that demonstrates God's spirit working in us, by carrying a different spirit in us. Engage, invest, and then at some point we can, over time, it's not the knock on the door, you know, door-to-door salesman, hello, would you like to buy some encyclopedias? No, this is someone that you've engaged with in in an arena where you share some space, where you share some interests, where you've actually got some commonality, so, so there's some connection point there. If you don't like chess, don't go and join the local chess club. You just, you, 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 that, it just won't work unless you want to learn how to play chess. Engage, invest, and then at some point, invite. At some point, be praying for these people. That's part of the investment. Be saying, God, by your Holy Spirit, I want to be sensitive to you nudging me when the time is right to put out the invitation. There's some seasonality to that. You know, things like Easter and Christmas are great opportunities where people are kind of low-hanging fruit, where a lot of people are more likely to, to come to a church setting. So someone that you've engaged with and been investing in, you might be thinking now already, Christmas. I've got it. Christmas, I'm going to be inviting them. Fantastic. They might not say yes. Okay, but don't say they're no for them. might be your Elevate group. That might be the better way. You know, a few of the boys from Elevate group are going to be having a barbecue when they come along. Don't even tell them it's Elevate group. Just say a few of guys, buddies of mine, I know them from church, come along to a barbecue. Invite them to that. They find out that we don't all have two heads or one but a zipper on the side of our neck or any of that sort of stuff. We're just kind of normal people trying to follow Jesus. It's very disarming. People are terror- Some people are terrified at the idea of coming into a setting like this. But they might come to a barbecue. Engage, invest, invite. This is how Paul did it. And I'm going to finish with this. This is an example where Paul engaged, invested, and invited. He went into a place called Corinth, which is in Greece. And uh, this is how he described his, uh, his approach. Even though I'm free of the demands and expectations of everyone... I've voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people, religious, non-religious, meticulous moralists, loose-living immoralists, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever. I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ, but I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. 
He engaged with people and met them where they were at. I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. He continued to invest in people. Put himself second. He stayed in there, stayed in there, stayed in there. Became a voice, became a voice of influence. And I did this all because of the message. I didn't want to just talk about it. I didn't want to just audit the course. I wanted to be in on it. The game plan hasn't changed. The calling hasn't changed. The strategy hasn't changed in 2,000 years. And from what I've read, it's not going to change. It's our, it's our responsibility, but I've been thinking about it this week. It's our responsibility, but you know what? It's also a blessing because God chose us. God chose us. We're not just sons and daughters of the king. We live in service of the king. It's actually a great honor. It's actually a great privilege. Yes, it's a responsibility. Serving the king, serving the queen, it's always a responsibility. But it's a great honor. It's a great honor to be used by the king. It's a great honor to be used by God. And guys, we need, we need to take this seriously. I want to do one more thing before we close today and just to give you an opportunity. If you've never, I talked about it earlier, right over here, this churchy word salvation simply means for you to put your faith in Jesus, for you to put your trust in him, for you to actually say to him, you know what, Jesus, I've done some things that I know you're not cool with. I know those things separate me from you. They, they keep us at a distance. I, I don't want that. I want to, I want to, I want to bridge up. I can't do it in my own strength. And so all, all you need to do is you say, Jesus, forgive me of the things I've done wrong. Wash me clean. Give me a brand new start. Let me have that rela- a relationship with you. And then he will take you from that point and begin this journey of transformation, of sanctification and of transformation. But it starts over here. So if you've never made that decision, you've never actually said to Jesus, I want you to forgive me. I want to follow you. I want to make you my Lord. Right now, we're going to give you that opportunity in a moment. For those of you that need to make that decision, I just want you to put your hand up. You say, yeah, that's me. I want to follow you, Jesus. I need your forgiveness. When I see your hand, you can put it down. And then we're going to pray. So just while I look across our auditorium a couple of times, for those of you that have never made that decision, just slip your hand up. Say, yeah, it's me. That's me. And you're not really putting your hand up for me. You're putting your hand up to God. So he knows you're serious about this. Just put your hand up. When I see your hand, you can put it down. And then we're going to pray. Okay. Well, let's pray a different prayer. Let's pray a prayer that commits us to be front and center on the front line for Jesus. Uh, One of the reasons that something like a morning like this where nobody's making that decision is I can look around and there's actually nobody here that needs to make that decision. 
so statistically, it's not a surprise to anyone, right? Um, that's the point. We've got to be the ones that engage, invest, invite. We don't produce brochures. <laughs> we produce disciples. You know, we had some, someone contact us to see if we wanted to put an ad in the local newspaper for Christmas. No, we're the ad. <laughs> we're the ad. We're the billboard. We're the invitation card. And uh, it's not a guilt trip, by the way, because I'm in the same game and I didn't bring anybody either. So we'll play by the same rules here. Well, I brought two people, but they're already church people, so brats. <laughs> Care to choose again? <laughs> <laughs> but um, but you know you know I'm just saying it's not a guilt thing not at all but but it's a huge responsibility and statistically you know let's make sure we're we're not saying people's no for them that we're engaging investing inviting and I'm just going to pray that as we do that we experience God's favor and we experience favor with people right now Lord thank you for choosing us it's pretty insane move on your behalf I think most of the time but you did and uh, God we are people who want to step up and take on that responsibility more seriously to understand that your kingdom needs us to do that that people are dying and going to hell every single day people are living without hope without a future without a relationship with you and you've chosen us exclusively to turn that around to bridge that gap to engage to invest and to invite Lord churn in our hearts, this responsibility, put it to the surface, bring it to the surface, make it front and center that we would take this responsibility to be our number one priority in, across all of our lives. And as we do that, Lord, that we would experience growing favor with you and growing favor with the people that we are engaging with and investing in and ultimately inviting. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And by the way, guys, quick preview, and this probably sounds insane, although I'm sure Woolies are about to bring out the Christmas bonbons. Christmas is only just over two months away. Who are you going to bring? And I'm saying that now. Who, who are you going to bring? We're going to just give you the tip. We're going to be running a live experience on the Sunday morning, which is the 22nd. We'll remind you of this closer to the date. The 22nd, which is a Sunday morning, and then Christmas Eve, which is a Tuesday evening at 6 p.m. You've got two... Swings of the bat there. We'd like you to be here for both of them and bring different people to both. But just already, be, be, some of you are making lists of cards. Some of you are making lists of gifts. Make lists of people you're going to be inviting as well. In fact, make that the first list you make because that's the most important thing. Jesus, when you meet him face to face, he's not going to ask you what you got for Christmas in 2013. He's going to ask you, did you bring anybody? Did you do what I asked you to do? Did you share my story? Some other good news, apart from, you know, Jesus being the saviour, Neil, some other good news is that our coffee this morning is Colombian. <laughs> so you'll love that. We can't pronounce it. So we just that's what it's called. All right. It's beautiful. It's delicious. It's chocolatey. It's got some red berry flavours. Don't have a clue what that means. And a hint of citrus. So please enjoy 